Libros Schmibros is a podcast exploring the people, books, movies, and ideas that Angelinos care about in a thoughtful way that even New Yorkers can understand. We're coming to you from Libros Schmibros, our nonprofit bilingual lending library in Boyle Heights, on the west coast of the country and the east bank of the mighty Los Angeles River. Hi, everybody. This is uh... Libro Schmibros podcast, and we're here today with Kendra Atleywork to talk about her life, her writing, and her beautiful book, Miracle Country. And I um, am here with David Kippen, um, who's our founder and our um, co-conversationalist. Uh, David, I don't know if you want to say anything, but... Uh, Certainly not without unmuting, but welcome to everybody out there in internet land, and certainly to you, Kendra. We're, we're very proud to have you. Yeah, that's right. And um, so I guess um, we could begin talking about your book. So, Kendra, was this, how long did you work on this project? This is, um, this, there's so many layers to it. I'm just curious to know how you lived with it and how you occupied it. So it was about six years of actual writing and revising um, from when I was actually working on the book itself. There was a little bit more, there's traces of it that you can trace all the way back to when I was an undergrad at, at Scripps at the Claremont Colleges. Um, but the actual book itself, when I knew I was writing this book about this place was about six years. Wow. And so did this take you through your MFA years or was this a project you moved in and out of or how did it how did it grow? How did it start and how did it grow? It started with so so the idea that I was going to write about home really started right. So when I was in undergraduate, I was studying media, but I took whatever writing classes I could take and I was assigned to at Scripps College, one of the assignments in the first creative nonfiction writing class I ever took before I really knew what the genre even was, was write about grief and an essay. So I wrote an essay about my mom and really it was about a friendship with a high school classmate in my small rural community and losing my mom in high school. And that essay um, a later went on to be published in Best American Essays 2015, which led me to getting my agent and a scrap scraps of that essay made it into this book. So I kind of think of that as the impetus of Miracle Country. Um, but but it was my MFA thesis. So I worked on it steadily for three years when I was getting my MFA in nonfiction at the University of Minnesota. And then I worked on it by myself and with my agent for another three years after that. Wow, that's an enormous undertaking. That is really a, and, and when I talk about the layers, what I mean is the, um, uh, the evident research. I, I, you know, we think of memoir so often as a genre where we kind of rifle through the memory box, but um, you know, you you take us into the stories of your family, but you're also taking us through literature about the desert. You're bringing us back to um, beautiful and moving and poetic um, connections between a sense of grief and absence that you name very very clearly, um, relatively early in the book and um, a sort of tradition of um, the wanderings through these great open spaces. Um, and I'm, I'm not surprised to learn that this began 
um, as a tribute to your mom, um, who's such a central part of this story, um, and that it began as a project about grief. Um, I think, I, I mean, I think a lot of their best literature does, regardless of genre. Um, but there was something that struck me about your memoir, um, although it was so filled with um, emotion and feeling for what you and your mom had as a relationship and, and for um, the, the sort of existential losses of uh, the region you write about, of the Eastern Sierra and the death of water, uh, the death of so many um, potentialities. For all that, um, it's an interesting, it's interesting and I think worth noting that um, it's kind of a happy memoir. And what I mean by that is you're, you're talking about your family in these rounded and positive ways. And that was really quite wonderful to read because I think we've been schooled to think that it's a genre that um, entails scandal and um, intrigue or um, uh, great violence. And that's not your account. Um, your account is, is very loving. Um, and so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about um, what it was like to be working in a genre that, that, that's front-loaded in some ways with yeah, expectation. That's such an interesting way to think about it as, as kind of a happy memoir. And I've never quite, I've never quite thought about it like that, but I always felt like it was a bit outside of the typical memoir genre. Um, even just, as you said, I had a really wonderful childhood. I grew up roaming around in the dirt and the rocks and catching lizards. And we were a bit, we were a bit isolated and a bit lonely um, and living halfway up a mountain with rather eccentric parents, but it was an incredibly happy childhood. Um, and, and then it became less so when my mom died when I was 16. But I think the, the, the writing of Miracle Country was sort of, I was writing it throughout my entire 20s, essentially, really starting in my early 20s. And it was a, it was a way of reminding myself what she had taught me, I think. Um, I was reminding myself of what she had taught me while I was writing the book. And it wasn't just what she had taught me in terms of my own uh, resilience and my family's resilience and what I knew was her desire for us to be okay. I quote letters that she wrote um, throughout the book and she actually writes, be hold on to each other and be okay. Uh, but it And so it was that that I was reminding myself, but it was also the importance of having something beyond your own grief and your own loss to hold on to that I was writing my way towards the whole time I was working on this book because it's a book about coming back to live beside your hardest memories and your, your memories of loss. I came back to my hometown. The book is about me moving home to my hometown, which is the site of my memories of my mom and her loss. And it's also a place that's hard to live. It's a place that burns down. We were, we were under putrid smoke for two months this summer, almost without pause. Yeah. Um, you know, California is not easy to live in. The West can be challenging to live in, in this place especially. So, but the, her lessons were also that you come home, you take care of things that are worth taking care of, you dig into your community. And so it was, 
in a way, the loss, the loss that kicks off the memoir, the loss of her becomes bearable by recalling the things that she taught, the things that she left behind, the deliberate way um, that she sort of set a particular kind of future in motion for her family and for her home place. That's really interesting. So it's almost, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please stop me if I am, um, an act of completing the mothering of yourself um, to, to go back and delve into those memories and the interweaving of her words. Um, you talk about the family um, scrapbook that had photos and letters and the annotating she did as she was dying and advice, including to your father, to freeing him to marry again, if he wishes, or attach himself again, um, describing her inestimable love of you and your, your, your siblings. It was, um, uh, it was as if you were incorporating them at a different level. Um, so it's, it was um, very interesting to me. I, I think of it as the most positive outcome one could possibly have out of um, an absolutely um, grief-filled and, and tragic loss. Um, and, um, and very um, beautifully contextualized in the ways in which you related um, your mom, especially both your parents to landscape, um, to place. Um, and as you put it right now, it's echoes. I'm glad you brought up the fires. I was gonna ask about how you fared. Um, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a weather maven and I was following up and down the state and the uh, air quality indices and um, it was horrendous what you endured. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's a difficult place to live and a difficult place to be from. And, um, and, and I'm guessing a lot of readers have responded to you with gratitude for bringing all of these different spheres of experience together for the book. Um, but tell me about it. What, what have some people said to you about it? Um, so the, it's been so cool to hear from readers. Um, I've been hearing mostly from readers who have a relationship to the Eastern Sierra or to California or LA. So LA mostly and Eastern Sierra. And those, there's a lot of people, um, so the local community in the Eastern Sierra in Bishop and Owens Valley and surrounding towns have been extremely supportive. The local bookstore Spellbinder has an entire wall of Miracle Country. If you go in there, you can <laughs> see it and they will direct you to it if you happen to miss it, <laughs> um, which is really cool of them. They've been so supportive and they made launching during a pandemic just just really nice and much less grim than it could have been. So I'm really grateful to indie bookstores at the moment. And and readers have been, it's been really cool to hear from readers who visit the Eastern Sierra and it's such an important part of their life. And they've been coming up to my area for, they're often like, I got a, I got a letter in the mail from a 92 year old reader who'd been coming to the area since childhood and had seen it change and had lived all over California and Nevada and had seen all these different um, eras in, in the West and shared those stories with me. So that's been really cool. I've gotten a lot of reader stories about how LA has changed, how the Eastern Sierra has changed, what it's meant to their family to go up to the mountains, what it's meant to their family to live in the city, 
So that's been one of the biggest pleasures of writing this book. I didn't get to meet people in person on tour, but I've gotten a lot of correspondence and people have been really um, just warm and sharing of their own stories and their own relationship to place and their homes, which is exactly what I would was hoping that this book would elicit. And then a lot of people also talking about um, sharing their story, their own stories of loss and how maybe they reflected on that differently after reading and sort of connecting that way, which has also been really nice. And I suspect when the pandemic lifts, um, you're going to find that your book um, will continue to draw this sort of um, energy and attention and, and warm reaction. Um, I mean, I, I can't quite, um, I can't quite imagine it um, doing anything else. And it really did speak to me. I mean, I grew up in LA, um, and I've been very involved with um, how to how to write about family and place here. Um, and I also grew up camping and trips up and down the 395. And um, it was at once familiar and it uh, made me ache. Um, I, I wish I could return to those places and to those days. I, I used to imagine that I would want to make a coffee table book about what I then perceived as the forlornness of it all, but in a beautiful way. Um, with stories and photographs, and and so you've you've done that, Kendra. You you've uh, managed to supply that through your own DNA, and um, and you know you you take us in so many um, into so many adventures, um, and um, uh, so many you know varied settings for it, um, and including your house, which uh, like the friend you describe. Um, you know, made me say, oh, I wish, I wish I were there. I wish that were mine. Um, it sounds like a, a splendid, a splendid thing. Um, I wonder, would you like to read us um, a favorite passage? Um, sure, I can, I don't have anything put, picked out right at the moment, but is there any, is there a particular, would you like to lean family, California? I can pull something up here, I've got the book. Got a bristlecone pine on the cover. You <laughs> let's 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 lean California. Maybe maybe and let's you know see how how we do. Maybe there's more than one, but let's lean California. Okay, let's see. I could read something from the chapter about. I I like to look at my family as a microcosm of California, and sort of the innovation and fly by the, by the seat of your pants quality that I feel like is really inherently Californian. And I think it can be really great and has a lot of potential, but I also think it can be kind of dangerous and has led to some of the darker places we've gone as a state. So if I can find that chapter, okay, here it is. This chapter is called The Indestructibles. And I'm gonna just read a little bit so this chapter gets into how there's tornadoes in downtown LA and newspapers during the, during the area of growth would cover up that fact. Now that's, a, I remember it well, that's a lovely one to select. So let's see. Here's a little section about optimism and California. All right, um, so this, yes, I'll start right here. 
Better make your next location California went the 1930 ragtime hit. At times in the 1960s, California's population grew by 1,500 in a single day. How strange Rodriguez's California, the winter warmth, the press of the grinning crowd must have seemed to Nana and Fafa for a while. The lax dress, the willingness to bare skin against a backdrop of rabid growth. My grandparents had the prudent East for comparison. Just as Richard Rodriguez, a California author, saw his Mexican parents and the Irish Catholic nuns who taught him how to write, looking back at their history, seeing tragedy behind and tragedy ahead. The inheritance of California is half gorgeous, half deadly. It is half remembered and half lost. It is a brother with the past like a time bomb, but let's not worry about that now. Look to the future, Joan Didion instructs her compatriots. The future always looks good in the golden land because no one remembers the past. My father has a friend who spent enough years beneath the high Sierra sun that his nose was cut off to save his face. The rubber prosthesis hurts to wear. He greets us and we see the crater, the wet cave. Still the sun shines. We bask and forget what it can do in this place free from rust and too dry for decay. If optimism means forgetfulness, then our optimism was necessary for a certain kind of future to occur, for growth, a certain version of the greatest good. California was home to one of the most effective advertising campaigns in history, converting not only new customers, but those who had already bought the product. Remembering winter free of storms was essential to what historians call the growth machine. The developers, politicians, journalists, and newspaper owners who boosted California and in the process turned an ideal into culture. The blood of our valley supplied the state's racing heart. That's beautiful. Thank you. I'm gonna, I've been hogging you. Let's see, I'm, I'm guessing David has many things right about now that he wants to ask. Well, sure, that's that's lovely. Um, I, you know, I, I, if I hadn't loved the book, I wouldn't have, have, have uh, pressed it on Colleen to talk about with you. But yeah, I mean, as long as we're discussing that passage, um, you know, I love the way that you interweave your own memoir with what must have occasioned a whole lot of research. Would you want to talk for a bit about, um, you know, uh, chasing down California lore via history, via other people's memoir out of fiction um, and essayists like Didion and trying to integrate that and, and add your own voice alongside it? Yeah, so the research was really fun. Um, I always felt like my own family story was inextricable from the story of the land. And the story of the land was not just the story of my valley, but really the story of California and the West. So I read Los Angeles was really important because my valley's water goes to Los Angeles to this day. And so it was really important to me to understand not only the relationship between LA and my valley now, but also historically and kind of get to the bottom of that. So, but I also wanted to understand kind of the myth of Los Angeles. I lived in Los Angeles for years mm. and it's in the book and it's, it was, I went to college there. So that was crucial. So I read all the fiction that I could about Los Angeles, just classic stuff. And I read, uh, I read um, scholarship about California. The Boom California magazine was really helpful to me throughout writing this. Um, I did a lot of digging around in archives. I, I dug up a lot of old newspapers. It's really cool how the LA Times is archi archived all the way back online. That was really helpful. But I also pulled up a lot of old 
old California newspapers, many of which defunct on microfilm. And I looked at them in the basement of the University of Minnesota on microfilm to go back and find articles about freak storms in early California history and the way that was not reported on. Um, Mike Davis's books led me to that idea. And so his books were really important. Um, and then interviewing people was also crucial, interviewing Paiute elders in my valley and, um, and other folks up and down the state. So the research was really fun. The, the, I have 500 source, bibli 500 source bibliography on my website <laughs> for the book. Not in the back of a book, it would have doubled the size. <laughs> Well, I mean, those are all terrific sources, the, the, the ones I know and the ones that I'm going to race off and, and try and chase down. Um, I, uh, um, you're joining Mike Davis, you know, as a, as a guest of the Libro Shmibros podcast, and, and we're thrilled about it. Um, I should just mention, by the way, um, Libro Shmibros, which uh, uh, might well have been behind me, only, only uh, I, I don't happen to have that particular slide at the moment, is our nonprofit lending library in Boyle Heights, which you probably know is a, a working class neighborhood just uh, east of downtown Los Angeles. Um, I wanted to, uh, to ask you, um, you know, I, I used to be the book critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. I still write for the Times. I have had books recommended to me by uh, uh, any place you could possibly imagine, yet I've never had a book recommended to me by an Inyo County County supervisor um, like yours was. Um, and so, of course, I'm looking at this through the prism of an idea that that Colleen and I and Libros have been hatching about the possibility for a new uh, um, writer's project up and down the state and even potentially uh, around the country. Um, and I, I thought I would ask you, since you mentioned old newspapers of, of your region and ours, um, what is the, and you also mentioned Spellbinder Books, what is the readerly and writerly landscape in in your in in Inyo and the 395 these days, if we were to undertake a kind of literary project um, in in collaboration with the area, um, I can I think it's thriving. I mean, and I can also attest to that given the number of book clubs that I visited <laughs> just in the last months. I mean, for a community of our size, it's it's incredible. The the stat that I like to use is that our county, Inyo County, is this, about the size of the country of Belgium, which has 11 million people, and Inyo County has 18,000 people. And yet, I don't even know how many book clubs I've been to, all local. So that's that's super cool. There, It's a county, and Mono County too. They're counties of readers and they're counties of creative people and writers and people who are really actively engaged with where they live um, and, and all kinds of artists. I can off the top of my head think of a bunch of people that I think would be interested in that kind of a project. Um, every, everything from oral historians to um, community historians to writers to artists. Um, and yeah, the, the, the Spellbinder Bookstore is staffed by avid book lovers who are incredibly supportive of literature in general and they give great recommendations and are a pleasure to chat with whenever you stop in Bishop right there on 395. So I would say for its for its size, it's in it's it really holds its own with cities, I would say as far as the enthusiasm of the the folks for literature. Well, that's great to hear. Um, what uh, is, is there still a, a, a decent newspaper or two um, holding up that that banner, or are they on hard times? Or what did you grow up reading, and and what's the how are things different now? 
Yeah, so there's a Spanish language newspaper, El Sol. There's The Sheet, which is, which is great journalism. There's the Inyo Register. Um, and then there's the Mammoth Times are the main ones. And they are, they're struggling because of the pandemic, because a lot of their advertising has been cut. And so they're, they're, they're struggling now, I think. Um, hopefully, hopefully they'll make it through this. I really like doing dispatches and columns and op-eds for all of them. Um, and uh, they, yeah, they're, they're trying their best, but yeah, we definitely have journalists on the ground trying to be present in, at everything. Yeah, I, I saw and loved the op-ed or the, the book essay you did for Boris at the LA Times um, several weeks ago, I think during the, the heat of the fires. That was a terrific piece of writing. Makes me want to go to all these other places and uh, you know, look up your old clips. Um, I, uh, and, and how about, um, how about for young people? Is there, is there a, a, a college paper or two, um, that, that might be helping to nurture the next Kendra or, or what's the, what's the landscape for them literarily these days? You know, I don't know. I know the high school has great English teachers and I, I think they have a school newspaper, but I'm really not sure. Um, but then there's a community college, Saracosa, which has both Mammoth and Bishop campuses and some other campuses as well. Um, but I don't know that they have a newspaper. I'm not sure about that. Got it. Good to know. Now, I'm, um, I'm, uh, Colleen and I both teach at UCLA, um, me uh, almost exclusively teaching writing. And um, I'm, as a result of this current obsession of mine, teaching a purely WPA syllabus. So I've got a reading section from sections from the guides, but also from great WPA writers like in California, Kenneth Rexroth. And one of the things that I've got them doing is writing WPA guides to their own home, home region. And one of the ways I encourage them to think along productive lines is to ask them um, if somebody from the outside were writing about your home region, what would, what would they and what have they gotten wrong over the years? Because certainly the WPA guides were not infallible. They were not you know, written exclusively by people from those regions, although to a, to a heartening extent they were. But you know, there, there are things that you, know, you perhaps reading the embarrassingly microscopic entries on your home region might find not only insufficient, but, but you know, somehow off in a way that um, a native wouldn't misconstrue them. What, what, what are the misconceptions about, about uh, where you're from and uh, what's, what's the straight skinny? How would you distinguish the perceptions uh, of, uh, of Inyo and the 395 from outside Los Angeles, for example, and uh, what should we know that only, only a local knows? Yeah, that's such an interesting question to ask your students. And I feel like if someone had asked me that in college, it would have jump-started Miracle Country. <laughs> um, <laughs> for better or for worse, <laughs> it would have unleashed something. Um, but, but I felt like, so I, the response of people from outside of my area to this book has made me feel more optimistic about this, actually. Like that people do get it and that there are all these hundreds of people from all over the state and all over the country, all over the West that love this place and do care for it and understand it and see it as complex and see their own homes as that way as well. Um, but I think that when I was growing up, the fear was always, we're a vacation paradise. Yeah. Like I definitely in college was asked a couple, was had a few people react when they would hear that I was from the Mammoth Bishop area. And this was, I went to college in LA and people would say, oh, people actually live there? And I'm kind of like, yeah, like, I, who do you think waited on you at Tom's place, you know? <laughs> um, so, so there was some of that. And so I think 
there's for any tourist destination there's this idea that it's it's a it's there for the pleasure of visitors and it doesn't have its own complex character and i think that's a dangerous thing to i like when i'm a tourist somewhere i try to keep in mind that that is not the case and i quote david foster wallace in the book and he says a tourist is a bug on a dead thing which mm -hmm. i think i disagree with because if we act like it's already a dead thing then we can we can trash it and whatever so i i like i like to think of tourism as something that a way that you you can go and learn about the rich the richness and the nuance and the complexity and the darkness of the place that you're visiting um, and when visitors do that for the eastern sierra they do us a great service because they go back with that love for that place and they it changes the way they think about their own place and then we can have discourse so so i guess that would be the main misunderstanding that i see the most is like oh this is just a vacation place and it's isn't it beautiful and don't you love living here yes but <laughs> it's a lot more complicated it's interesting i was talking to uh, a woman i know um lauren bond who's done some art projects between los angeles and uh in you know, in the 395 and talking about owens valley and the water grab and she was characterizing it a little bit like that but i'd be curious to to, to know your reaction she said if we were to undertake a kind of wpa project in the area um, you know, be mindful that it can be a little bit uh, balkanized. There's, there are the people who derive their livelihood from the tourists, there are the ranchers, there are the, um, you know, the, the Latinos, may, many of whom work in ag agriculture, there are the, um, the Indians, many of whom uh, own motels up and down the highway, there are the Paiutes, um, you know, to what extent do these groups intermingle? How optimistic are you that they might, you know, uh, achieve more um, of a kind of mutual understanding? And, you know, do you think, do you think writing has a role to play in maybe helping this along? or is that um, the kind of understanding that, that, that you know, would benefit from, from you know, the inside of somebody like you who knows the place inside out? Oh, yeah. I mean, what, something I love about it is that there's so many versions, like any place. There's so many versions of it. Everybody has a different relationship to their home. And, and the Eastern Sierra is diverse in its backgrounds and in the ways different people relate to the place. But one thing that I think is really powerful about the Eastern Sierra is that we all have, um, so it's politically diverse in the sense that I, I don't live in a, in a blue echo chamber by any means. And I like that because I think it keeps me more in touch with what a lot of the country is thinking and feeling. And people, so I'll write stuff for the newspaper and people who I know, I vote very differently than they do, will, will connect with what I wrote and that's my goal. And then we can have a conversation. And I think that's easier in a place like the Eastern Sierra because we all have this thing in common. And that is that we love the place. And we might have different ideas about what's best for it in the big picture, but we kind of all want the same thing, which is for our community to thrive in our home. And I think in the Eastern Sierra, it's easier to keep that in sight because Whereas we are a smaller community and we have this one thing in common, which is that we all love our home, even if we really express that really differently, even if some of us might go shooting on the weekend and, and off wheel driving and dirt biking and others might go hiking, you know, we, it's still kind of a celebration of the place that is carried out in different cultural ways. So 
So I think there's, it's, there's a ton of, of potential because of those differences and those different caches of, of people, I think. I, I, I wish Los Angeles could evince a little bit more of that sometimes, um, that, that sense of, of celebration and curiosity. Um, well, I, I appear to have hijacked this whole conversation. I, um, I would love to, to hand it back to Colleen, who, who um, is, I think, more the moderator than I am, if, uh, if she has any other questions up her sleeve. I, I actually don't, um, to be totally honest. I mean, I've been fascinated because I, too, uh, wanted to hear your thoughts about the possibilities of um, engaging writers and artists and, and um, exploring the expressiveness of your region and um, what that might do and how varied it might be. And it's, it, sounds, um, it sounds like it's something that you, would, that you think would be welcomed, which is really wonderful. And um, I guess I would like to bring this back to you and your book and, and um, your, um, uh, your wonderful achievement here. And you shared with us um, a quote from the California part of the book. Um, so I guess I have more of a question about your family, which is um, how do they feel about it? Do they like it? Yeah, I was, I got really lucky when it comes to writing a memoir to have a very supportive family. Um, they approved of, they all signed off on it before it was published. And they, there was nothing that I was, that they told me to take out at any point. And in fact, a lot of it comes from interviews with them. Um, my brother and sister and dad all gave me whatever I needed pretty much from their lives to write about. And they were generous in trusting me to write about it. And my brother is funny whenever he, whenever I would ask him, are you sure? Because he had sort of a rough adolescence. He sort of fell into some small town crime after our mom died. And now he's a totally upstanding refrigerator repairman, beloved all around town. But uh, I was writing about some of his rougher years. And whenever I would ask him, are you sure? Can this go in the book? His response is always, whatever will sell books. So. That's lovely. That's yeah. wonderful. That's wonderful because there again, that's another one of the great landmines of memoir, which is um, there will be no more Thanksgivings at home, <laughs> young lady, if you write this book. Mm -hmm. And um, my, my sense was that um, that wasn't true for you, that in fact, you'd had a lot of positive support. And I was struck by your candor about your relationships with, with your sibs. Um, and I'm thrilled to hear that they're as happy for you as, uh, as I'm sure that everybody else is. Um, is there another project in the works? Another, another memoir or another nonfiction endeavor? I mean, there's, it's impossible to say what it will be. <laughs> Maybe it'll be a novel, who can say? <laughs> it's very nascent. That's great. The only, the, what I'm hearing is the good news, which is that you're writing. And always. that's an important thing, always, yeah. always. That is good. That that's that's our motto too. Um, you know, I I David, I I think uh, I think Kendra has been incredibly generous with her time. <laughs> and and we could certainly monopolize your entire, I would say, at least morning in California, though maybe not everywhere. Everybody is listening. Um, let me just ask, you know, this next project that you're, who knows what shape, if any, it might take, is it about the same region? Is it, is it, uh, or, or, or elsewhere? So I feel like it's impossible for me to write anything without my place to be heavily saturating it, even if I don't name the place. Mm -hmm. um, 
feeling of the place and just sort of the aesthetics. I can't really write anything apparently without that creeping in. So I'm sure that will be a part of it. I'm really interested in, in dynamics of small communities. So I'm sure that will be a part of it. Um, but I also have gotten really into, into researching Vikings. <laughs> so that Viking. might Yes. Bicycle. I'll be darned. Okay. Vikings. Vikings. Oh, Vikings. Wow. Uh, one last off the wall question, just because it's been, it's been um, uh, preoccupying me occasionally. If you were to write about your home region, but fictionalize it somewhat, how would you rename it? Uh, how would I rename it? Yes. Um, well, I'm the worst titler in the world. Miracle Country didn't have a title until like the last, the 10th hour. But, um, uh, well, okay, let's see. I've been reading the Icelandic sagas and I've been, I've, they're, they're very violent and the prose is very sparse and they're fascinating. They're written in the 13th century by anonymous Icelandic folks. Um, and I've been toying around with the idea of writing about Bishop in that way, especially some of the bar justice that goes on in more small Western towns, which can be very interesting to observe and reminds me of Viking justice. So maybe I'm writing the, the, the saga of Bishop. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, oh, this sounds That's so really cool. exciting. Yeah, it reminds me of, of, of Vineland. And if you know, John Calvin Batchelor is the birth of the People's Republic of Antarctica and Greenlanders by Jane Smiley. Oh, this, I'm, I'm, I can't wait. Uh, hurry up and write it and um, hurry up and end the pandemic so that you can bring Miracle Country and that to uh, Libros and Boyle Heights just as soon as you can. I love that. <laughs> All right then. Um, well, that about does it for this, another thrilling episode, an especially thrilling episode, I think, of the Libro Shmibros podcast. So um, without further ado, if I can stop record without erasing what I've already recorded, um, thank you. Thank you very much, Kendra Atley Work, um, for your book, Miracle Country, and for this conversation. And um, on behalf of my co-host, uh, Colleen Jarecci, this is David Kippen thanking you and everybody uh, within the sound of my voice now or later um, for, for a really bang up episode, and a lovely conversation. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Kendra. Wishing you well and looking you forward too. to talking again. Yes. <laughs> Bye. California. Bye. So ends another episode of Libro Schmibros, recorded at the bilingual nonprofit Libro Schmibros Lending Library in Boyle Heights. By all means, follow us online in all the old familiar places or email us via info at libroschmibros.org. By the way, we couldn't do this podcast without the whole Libros team, Quatemoc, Colleen, Diana, and Alberto. And all of them would kill me if I didn't add this. Please consider visiting libroschmibros.org hitting the donut button, <laughs> the donate button, and giving us a gift. We put good free books into people's hands five days a week here at Libros, right across from Mariachi Plaza, up in the old Boyle Hotel. I'm David Kippen, and there'll always be a free book for you, and thousands more to borrow here at Libros Schmibros. <laughs>